What's up, y'all? Happy Pride weekend. This week I wrote a piece called Police Were Never Invited to Pride. Abolition is a queer vision, and I hope you enjoy it. Not gay as in happy, but queer as in fuck you and fuck 12. A bumper sticker. It's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, and or questioning, LGBTIQ+, Pride Month. And I will start by reminding you that the first Pride was a riot. In the early morning hours of June 28, 1969, police initiated yet another raid at a well-known gay club called the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, New York. This violent police raid on LGBTIQ plus folks, the majority of whom were black and brown, led to six days of protest and violent clashes with police. Especially as pride here in Denver and many places has become very gentrified, it's important that we pay homage to and uplift the many black and brown people that led the way at Stonewall, including, and many more, Marsha P. Johnson, whose P's stand for pay it no mind with regards to her gender, who climbed a lamppost and dropped the first brick at Stonewall, smashing a police car. And Stormy DeLarvery, who threw the first punch at Stonewall and was clubbed in the face by police, who are, because you can't see the pictures, both black. And while we're here, miss me with the boo-hoo about police not being invited to Pride, the Pride Parade, this year. It's hilarious that people think this is somehow unfair to police. Let me say that again. Some people think that it is unfair that police are not welcomed to Pride, an event sparked by relentless police violence against majority black and brown LGBTIQ plus folks at Stonewall. Police weren't invited to Stonewall. They actually showed up quite uninvited over and over again to the Stonewall Inn, a safe haven, to target and repeatedly enact violence on a majority black and brown LGBTIQ plus folks. And now police want an invite to the pride parade? The irony, the caucasity, the audacity. To put it in academic terms, fuck out of here with all that. Black and brown queer people quite literally took police, hate, violence, and supremacy, mixed it with our magic, and made motherfucking rainbows. You can keep your quote-unquote thin blue line. Our blues are well-fed, thick, soulful, and none of your business. In a country where trans people are seven times more likely than cisgender people to experience physical violence from police, in a country where police murder transgender and gender nonconforming people at alarming rates, In a country where one in five transgender people who have an interaction with police will experience harassment, two in five black transgender people who have an interaction with police will experience harassment, and 15% of black transgender people will experience assault by police? No. You can't march with us. You're still brutalizing and killing us. As we've begun to see, the LGBTIQ plus movement has a history that is too deeply intertwined with police and policing. Many black freedom fighters like Huey P. Newton 
and the Black Panthers and Audre Lorde and so many more have seen and acknowledged this intersectionality. All systems of oppression are intertwined within people and throughout the world. For instance, I am Black and Indigenous and a woman and queer. All of those, all at once, all the time. Policing upholds and protects white supremacy, colonialism, heteropatriarchy. All of those, all at once, all the time. Our freedom is intimately tied and bound to folks who are both like and unlike us in so many ways. At the foundation of quote-unquote blue lives matter rhetoric is the belief that the police are the quote-unquote thin blue line between order and chaos, hence the flag. We cannot forget that our current order is an imperialist, colonialist, capitalist, white supremacist, heteropatriarchy, an oppressive house of cards of such. The thin blue line defines and protects quote-unquote order, i.e. imperialism, colonialism, capitalism, white supremacy, heteropatriarchy, and the power and privilege produced and maintained by those systems. Anything that challenges or disrupts what that thin blue line protects, anything stemming from a liberatory politic, is then deemed quote-unquote chaos. According to the thin blue line, quote-unquote chaos is stonewall in. Drag queens, sweaty palms, thumping music, round bodies, six-packs, libations, and bellies to drink and push up against like washboards for the sacred parts of us made sin by a frightened world. Quote-unquote chaos is girls kissing girls who kiss boys who kiss people who can be who and however they feel like being. People loving people when they want to, where they want to, how they need to. Quote-unquote chaos is thousands of black bodies swinging and bouncing and pulsing to a late summer block party where the only thing dead is the heat and the only thing to do is keep dancing. Quote-unquote chaos is thousands of black bodies organized any other way than row by row on a slave ship, row by row in a prison, row by row in a factory, black bodies not organized, blackness beyond bodies, black souls, black humanity, black freedom. Quote-unquote chaos is being able to live liberated from the insatiable demand for profit and productivity. Quote-unquote chaos is the natural, organic, ever-changing flow of life. Quote-unquote chaos is everything we really are. Liberation from the current quote-unquote order. To the thin blue line, anything non-white, male and hetero, is chaos. Chaos is my blackness, my indigeneity, my womanness, my queerness. In reality, chaos isn't chaos at all. It's liberation. The thin blue line has socialized us to fear our full humanity, to fear our freedom. I identify as queer because I know and feel and I know in my feeling that we are so much different and extra and less and changing, we are so much more alive than what the current quote-unquote order, the thin blue line, the current systems allow us to be. All of my abolitionist visions are queer, and I would actually endeavor to say that all abolitionist visions are queer too. Abolitionists say, people are not criminals, people are people that commit acts that are criminalized. 
This to me is as queer a statement as people are not genders. People are people that act in ways that are gendered. This logic is not only similar, but also related. Abolition is queer and queerness is abolition. Queerness is about much more than just gender and sexuality. It is about the way we organize or refuse to be organized within ourselves, in our intimate relationships, and in our communities as a whole. Queer theory questions established social, economic, and political power relations and critically interrogates notions of security. The way we relate to each other in many ways upholds systems of, of oppression. For instance, the quote-unquote nuclear family, a married couple with children, is reinforced and encouraged at every turn here in the United States with tax breaks, social approval and social capital, the ability to easily navigate programs, service, employment, amenities, etc. The nuclear family is incentivized with privileges and the perks of quote-unquote normalcy in thousands upon thousands of ways every day. Those without quote-unquote intact nuclear families are almost always disadvantaged or inconvenienced by current systems economically, socially, and otherwise, oftentimes contributing to adverse health and especially mental health outcomes. In the words of Bayo Akumalafe, modernity prides in power as the ability to name things. For instance, that is a park. This shall be gentrified as a new estate. I send you all out. This is a capital. Modernity prides in naming things. I think we are experiencing the toxicity of being found, fully found, fully owned, fully categorized, fully in place, if you will. And there's something ironic about modernity and how it frames place. It frames place by naming it forcefully, sometimes with violence. And the irony here is... In a sense, when you name something so forcefully, something slips away. Something eases away. What eases away? What steals away? Our relationships to each other, with the earth, a sense of humility, the whiff of an idea that we are entangled with the planet is lost in the city, lost in modernity, lost in names, boxes, foundness. Queerness is refusing to be found, named, owned, categorized, and fully in place. Queerness is the practice of escaping names and neat categories. It is an acknowledgement of our whole and complex connection to each other and to the earth, and in that, a surrender to the natural movement, fluidity, and changing nature of life. In the words of Octavia Butler, God is change. Queerness, for me, is a statement and commitment to being in right relationship with change. That is, accepting change, moving through and with change, shaping change, because everything changes always. Humans have built societies that feign power, control, stability, and permanence. But it's all really just stagnancy and an existential fear of the ultimate change, death. We go to great lengths to attempt to stay in control, to attempt to set ourselves apart. We erect statues and worship human gods, but the truth is that we aren't the main characters here. We never have been. 
and we never will be. We are not a part. We are a part of everything. And everything changes always. Always. That's how life systems work through and by and with change. Growth too is change. Decay too is change. And that means nothing matters because it's dying or everything is precious while it's alive. I used to be absolutely terrified of change. It was really hard to accept and move through change for me for a long time. I used to wrestle with questions like, if everything changes always, how am I supposed to maintain control of my life? If everything changes always, does anything really matter? If you surrender to the wind, you can ride it. Toni Morrison. I'm just starting to embrace the power and direction that comes with surrendering to change, leaning into the natural flow of life. I'm just beginning to find a profound peace and harmony in realizing that I don't have to be in control. I can just be fully, wholly, and unapologetically. We can't control change, but we can shape it. We can't control the wind, but we can ride it. Queerness, for me, is a statement and commitment to being in right relationship with change, being in right relationship with God, surrendering to the wind so that I can ride it. In the conversation quoted above, Prentice Hemphill and Bio Kamalafe go on to discuss the importance of moving towards quote-unquote post-activism, which encourages us to ask not how do we win within current systems, and rather pushes us to explore questions like how can we live in ways that will fracture and eventually abolish current systems, making way for liberatory futures. The emphasis on living over winning is quite relevant to queerness and queer theory, In addition to allowing us to identify more fluidly with our ever-changing masculine and feminine energies, queerness also pushes us to confront and consider how we are in community with one another. Queerness allows us to harness the power of relating to one another differently as a way to transform the world, as a way to bring abolition to fruition. A few queer abolitionist questions that I ask myself often are, What are my needs? What do I desire? Why? Do I want kids? Do I want to be married? Do I want a partner? Do I want multiple? Do I need the person slash people I am in partnership with to be the person slash people I live with? What is companionship to me? Do I want to cohabitate? Do I want a white picket fence? A nuclear family? Or do I need a bigger nucleus? Who is my community? How do I want to show up for them? How do I need to be shown up for? These questions are all intimately concerned with connection, how I connect to myself, other people, and the world. How am I in communion with myself, others, and the world? What do I need from community? What does community need from me? Systems of oppression depend on the practice of deeply disrupting human connection, connection to self, others, and the world. One of the core operating principles that I and many have observed of colonialism, capitalism, and heteropatriarchy is isolation. How do we enact genocide on indigenous people? We disrupt their food systems and uproot their connection to their land. We remove their children and send them to residential schools. We isolate them 
on reservations? How do we keep enslaved black people oppressed? We separate them from their newborn children as soon as biologically possible. We make literacy illegal. We make connection to hegemony and the world outside of a plantation nearly impossible. We quote unquote break enslaved black people. We abuse and traumatize them so severely that they are isolated within themselves, estranged and outcasted from self. How do we control the most intimate and far-reaching parts of our existence? We create Ponzi schemes of gender, sexuality, and sex. We socialize communities to make pariahs out of anyone who looks different, feels different, acts differently, loves differently. How do we exploit the planet? We disrupt human connection to the planet. We make it easy to consume animal terror. We trade fresh air for air conditioning. We pretend that we are on the land and forget that we are of the land. We forget that we are the land, not isolated from it. Disconnection fuels oppression. The spaces between us are where profits are made. I truly believe that community and connection is our way out of this mess. We can change how we live right now as a way towards liberation. We can abolish our current ways of organizing, our current systems and orders, and find and relate to ourselves, each other, and the world in new, queer, and more natural ways. Queerness is a key tenet of abolition. It allows us to begin thinking about how we organize around our full, fluid, ever-changing selves. Queerness is hard to control externally. It's hard to extract profit and power from queer things because they exist outside the confines of systems of oppression. They refuse to be named, found, categorized, and owned. Marsha Pay It No Mind Johnson knew the power in escaping modernity's forceful and incessant drive to name things. I think most queer people can feel that power in their bones, the pure joy in existing just as we are, always always. Where the imperialist, colonialist, capitalist, white supremacist, heteropatriarchy asserts that power is something that we get by dominating other people and things, queer abolitionists know that power is something that we have simply by being, unapologetically, fully, and without borders. Queer abolitionists know that power is an internal resource. Our power is your power, is earth power, is our power our life force. And our life force, our existence, is dependent on how we are in relationship with ourselves, others, and the world. It's beyond past time to abolish the current quote-unquote order and queer our way to freedom. Queering can and should happen in a lot of ways. Some of the queering I'm doing on a personal level right now is reminding myself that although women and femmes are socialized to believe otherwise, oftentimes with crippling effects, my life, our lives, don't have to be organized around finding a quote-unquote romantic sexual life partner. I need more than just one person. In fact, I know that for me personally, the health of my quote-unquote romantic sexual partners depends on the health of my relationships with other important people in my life. The last thing I want is to end up with some white picket fence around a suburban nuclear family island, it's actually nuts to me that we are truly led to believe that one person on a planet with 7.6 billion humans is supposed to fulfill all of our needs. 
and because I know I'm going to get this question, yes, I do believe in monog- in a monogamous sexual partnership. Um, one day for me, for a lot of reasons, that can be discussed at a later date, but I'm going to have really deep and important relationships with other people too. I am committed to having mystery and romance and deep, caring, loving, meaningful connection with my family, my friends, and my community. I am serious about organizing my life in concert with my friends. I want to live near my people. I will make big life decisions with and for my friends as well as my quote-unquote romantic sexual partner. Being in love for me is more than just being with one person. Being in love is also being in community. A couple of the other big queer questions that I ask often are, how can we make space for more of ourselves to exist and thrive in our performances of gender, sex, and sexuality? How can we make space for more of our collective humanity to exist and thrive in community? We're not recreating the wheel here. Black and brown folks have been relating to each other in very queer ways for a very long time. We have had to do this. Our queerness is not only innate, organic, and natural, it's an act of resistance. In black communities, we have chosen families for centuries. We are raised by grandparents and aunties and play uncles and cousins that do and don't share genes, but always share genes, and sometimes they're blue. But sorrow can't last long in a community-made family that extends around the barriers set up to isolate and kill us. Happy Pride. If you see me on the block this weekend by a lamppost, pay it no mind, honey. I'll be tossing bricks all weekend and forever. Eyes squinted into the distance, queering the fuck out of the future. I just want to conclude by, I always on my blog post do um, something called lineage, just like who have, um, whether I quoted them directly or not, um, like contributed to my thinking about Um, what I've been writing. Um, And I really want to end with a special highlight um, of three particular friends. And I have, you know, a lot of people I care very deeply about. um, But three people like really, really inspired this and have like changed my life in a lot of ways. I'm like tearing up. Um, But I just wanted to shout out Alicia, Emily, and um, Ari. Uh, I love y'all so much. And I am so happy to have y'all as my queer family. (laughs) I hope y'all have a great weekend.